Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 6. The Journey from Platform 9 and 3 Quarters Harry's last month with the Dursleys wasn't fun. True, Dudley was now so scared of Harry, he wouldn't stay in the same room. While Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon didn't shut Harry in his cupboard. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Terkyle. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. There's a photo in the bathroom of my parents' house on the first floor which is one of many Christmas card photos, you know, the type of a happy family with beautiful children and which gets sent out to everyone. And this one is of the six of us and we're floating on kind of inflatable tubes on a beautiful river landscape. We were in France during summer holidays when the picture was taken and the sun is shining, the water looks inviting, we're laughing and 
looking at it, you might think, wow, this is such a, a happy scene. But what I really remember from that particular moment was just before the photo was taken, I was kind of lying or sitting in an inner tube. And as soon as I realized, oh, there's a photo going to be taken, I slid onto my front so I could hide my tummy, which I was getting self-conscious of. And it's my first real memory of being uncomfortable in my body and just feeling not quite at home in my own skin. And looking at the photo now, I, I kind of feel sorry for myself then. But I also feel a little bit sorry for myself now because this is still something that I grapple with. And I, I still have that expectation of my body to look different and feel different than how it does. So I, I set myself up in a way that only leads to frustration and sadness. And there's a quote I love by Anne Lamott, who's a wonderful writer, where she says, expectations are resentments under construction, with the idea that expectations kind of set us up for disappointment and for failure. And I really notice that theme as we look at Harry and Draco and Ron and Hermione, as we meet so many new characters, all of whom have these expectations that they carry of themselves and the people who love them. And those expectations really go on to shape who they become. I loved that Anne Lamont quote and that story, Casper, because it's fine, I think, to have expectations if you're aware of them and you're in control of them and you approve of them. So I expect myself to be an honest person and I want to live up to that. But, you know, I expect myself to be a size two is not a productive thing for me to expect of myself. So it's when to expect and when to accept but before we really dive into this theme, which I think you so richly got us started on, let's do our 30-second recap. And Casper, I'm so proud of you. You tied me this week. Thanks for all the votes, fans. Thanks for all your pity. They weren't pity votes. They were proud votes. You literally begged for pity votes. <laughs> Keep giving me your pity votes. <laughs> Are you ready? Yes, so ready. On your mark. Get set. Go. Harry wakes up with the Dursleys and realizes that he's going to have to find a way to get to Hogwarts. And he's been given this ticket by Hagrid. So he asks them to give him a lift. They get a lift. He, uh, Dursleys abandon him. Um, he sees a family who are going through platform nine and three quarters. And so he goes through it too. There on the train, he meets Fred, George, uh, Ron, the Weasleys, Hermione. Draco tells him he should hang out with different kind of wizards. They see have cards. Then they arrive at Hogwarts. Uh, Hagrid takes them under and they go through into the Hogwarts Great Hall. But not quite yet. But but they go into the building. That was really good. That was a real improvement, but so much less, like, detail and interesting. I actually think you did a great job of balancing detail but getting through. You didn't sound very composed, but... Um, We're working on that. that. Well, but that's not one of the rubrics. Are you ready, Vanessa? Casper, I'm always ready. Three, two, one, Go! It's time for Harry to head out to Hogwarts. He gets a ride from the Dursleys who abandon him at platform nine. And he has a hard time getting through nine and three quarters. The Weasleys help him through. He meets Ron. They take a train ride together. He meets Neville and Hermione. He meets Draco, Crabbe, and Goyle who are terrible. And then um, there's like some weird class stuff between Harry and Ron. And then they pull in to Hogwarts and they're really excited. Man, you make it sound like you were on purpose sounding relaxed. Yeah, no, I was. You really were. <laughs> I just think it's important to feel composed. Um, our theme this week 
as you beautifully said, is expectations. And I saw expectation throughout this chapter, particularly, I mean, you really see it with Ron. Um, The Weasleys enter the scene in force with all of their chatter and all of their joy and all of their neuroses. And I just love it. And immediately, I mean, the first conversation that Ron and Harry really have is Ron complaining about the burden of expectation. Yeah, that's right. He says... Everyone expects me to do as well as the others. But if I do, it's no big deal because they did it first. And you can tell that he's kind of in a, you know, he's obviously in a long line of kids and Percy's a prefect and the other brothers in Romania and the other brothers with the bank. And, you know, what has he got left to achieve that hasn't already been achieved? But of course, the fact that they both are living with this pressure and this weight of expectation That's really where their bond of friendship lies. You know, they both are struggling with that weight of expectation. Oh, absolutely. Harry says, everybody's going to expect me to be a great wizard because apparently I beat Voldemort. But I don't know anything about being a wizard. And then Ron says, well, everybody's expecting me to be as great as my brothers. And I don't know that I can be. And they're bonding over the fact that they are scared that they're not going to be able to live up to these expectations. Yes, exactly. And that's an equalizing force. When Hermione enters the carriage, she does not come in with those expectations. You know, those dentist parents are just thrilled there's a witch in the family. And her expectation is really coming from herself of, you know, I'm very smart. I know what I'm doing. That's not real magic, Ron. That's a fake spell. Here's some real magic. So I think that particularly Hermione and Ron are really clashing. And I wonder if that has to do with the expectations that they feel from others. The other moment which was interesting was Scabbers. When Draco walks in with Crabbe and Goyle, they kind of budge into the train car. Scabbers jumps up to defend Ron and Harry in a, just of a moment of, of kind of real confrontation. And it's interesting because Scabbers usually is, you know, sleep, useless, uh, fulfills all of those kind of tropes of what Ron fears about himself. And yet here Scabbers jumps up to defend him, which in light of what we learn later in the story makes it a particularly interesting moment and one I don't quite understand. Yeah, we'll have to think about it later when we learn more about Scabbers. But what is interesting that I hadn't thought of until you said that is that it's a complete metaphor for Ron. Ron expects himself to be useless and not very magical. And then he sort of constantly surprises himself with how brave he is and that he does stand up in moments of tension. And so Scabbers in this moment is, I mean, he's a mini Ron. Casper, one of the places that I really saw expectation in this chapter was through Draco. So as you said, Scabbers defends Ron when Draco, Crab, and Goyle walk into the train car. I think it's just interesting that Draco leads the charge into Harry's train car. So Draco walks in and says, I've heard that Harry Potter is in this car. And first of all, there's just this expectation that he has of himself which is that if there's someone important on the train, I clearly am to hold audience with this person. A lot of other people on the train have heard that Harry Potter is on the train. And Draco is the only one that's like, yes, come, I will speak to him. And then immediately we find out Draco has the expectation that Harry will want to hang out with him and that Harry will have the same values as him, that everybody must have the same values of bloodline and of fame and prestige or what matters. And 
it's, first of all, a beautiful moment. Harry has no real reason to resist that. I wondered in myself if I were 11 and somebody who was posturing as the cool kid came to fetch me if I would have gone with him rather than staying with Ron. But Harry really reveals something wonderful about himself, which is he can sense that Draco has values that he doesn't respect and he stays with Ron. But Draco just seems to be living out the parental expectations of him and what he was raised with and is immediately recreating that world for himself at Hogwarts. Yeah, Draco is under such a heavy weight of the expectations of particularly his parents. You know, they're very clear later on in the books that they expect him to be very good academically, to not be afraid of anyone You know, this is the great tragedy of the entire role that Draco plays in the story, which really comes to a head in book six, but is that he is not the author of his actions, that Draco, more than anyone, really is held by the expectations of his parents, of who he should be. And Draco isn't alone in his reality being shaped by his expectation. It's a small point, but as Harry is walking around King's Cross and he goes up to, you know, someone who who can help him find Platform 9 and 3 quarters, the guy is supremely unhelpful and says, you know, in the end, the guards strode away muttering about time wasters. And here is a man who is employed to help people find their way around this big, busy train station. And here's an 11-year-old boy, clearly lost, clearly needing help, and he dismisses him as a time waster. He doesn't suggest, oh, there might be an 11 o'clock train going from St. Pancras, which is a train station right next door. And it's confusing. Some people get lost between the two. And I think here's an example of someone whose expectation is that people are going to waste his time and people are not smart to figure things out. And that's how he walks around life. You know, his expectations create his reality. Um, And that's, that's something I think that's really true for a bunch of characters in this chapter. I just met a man. My phone shattered. I dropped it and my phone shattered. And I met a man who was helping me replace my phone. And he said that he thinks of himself as a social worker because people get so frustrated with this phone company and that, you know, they are worried about money and they come in so vulnerable and that rather than seeing himself as a salesperson, he sees himself as a social worker. And then his boss came up and said, and he's the highest salesman in the office. You know, self-fulfilling prophecy stops at a certain point, but it was just a beautiful inverse of what you just explained. I expect myself to... uh be fallen in love with every day. How, how's, how's that working out for you, Vanessa? I fall in love with you every day. Oh. Um, so I wonder what you're going to think about this. On page 112, in the last page of chapter six, I'm going to just read this. Heads down, yelled Hagrid, as the first boats reached the cliff. They all bent their heads, and the little boats carried them through a curtain of ivy that hid a wide opening in the cliff face. So this is the first moment in which the students are seeing Hogwarts. And um, this just seems like a moment of reverence. I mean, obviously, the insinuation is that it's for their safety. It's Hagrid's job to drop off the first years. But... He yells heads down as the boats reach the cliff. And as I imagine that, I just don't understand what it is that they have to duck from. Ivy would go all the way down. They need to move around it. And it just seems to me like the visual that I get is Hagrid saying, please join me in prayer. And like this group of students bowing their heads in reverence to Hogwarts. What do you think? 
I think regardless of whether Hagrid wants them to feel reverence, just that image and for the students, the experience of going through that nearly ritualistic kind of bow before entering Hogwarts, I think it has something to tell us about the role of practice and the role of repetition in forming our expectations. You know, every new generation of students that enters, their first engagement with this place is to honor it through that bowing of the head. And even if it's unsaid, even if it's unspoken, it forms us, you know, just like these everyday encounters that we all experience, they form us in small ways. And I wonder if this is something that, you know, those founders of Hogwarts all those years ago, just built into the welcome to that place to, to start off with a reverential honoring of the students who've gone before. I love that, because even if there is some thing, some bridge, something that might hit the kids' heads that I can't quite decipher from the actual text, the fact that you have to bow your head, that's a physical experience that you have. So, for example, when parents get down on their knees to tie a kid's shoe, they're doing it just to tie a kid's shoe. But the physical feeling of getting down on your knees to sort of become eye to eye with a kid and to serve a child, it's still experienced on your body as something different than just trying to rush your kid out the door or whatever it is. And so I think that sometimes you bow your head and you have a different experience than if you crouch down or whatever it is. And the fact that Hagrid just says, heads down. He doesn't say duck. He doesn't say, watch out. It's heads down and everybody just does it. I think that regardless of the intention, the physical bodily experience of it is what matters sometimes. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. 
if you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. So this week, one last time before we try something new next week, we're still going to do Lectio Divina, in which Casper is going to pick a random quote for us to analyze in our four steps. Casper, what is the quote? This is towards the end of chapter six, the journey from platform nine and three quarters. He cleared his throat. Sunshine daisies, butter mellow. I'll read it once again because it's a bit weird. He cleared his throat. Sunshine daisies, butter mellow. Stage one asks us to figure out what's going on narratively. So what are these two sentences? What are they doing in the story? So this is when Ron is trying out magic for the first time. He is trying to turn scabbers yellow. So at least there's something interesting about scabbers. And then he is reciting a spell that one of the twins, I don't remember if it's Fred or George, taught him to try to turn scabbers yellow. I love this quote. This is hilarious. Casper, what about step two? What about this quote is allegorical, is symbolic to you of something else, something meaningful? Uh, sunshine, daisies, butter mellow. There's a kind of folky, pastoral, um, you know, the images of landscape. It's this kind of fresh butter from the fields. It's happy. In some ways, it has something to say about where we are within the stories. When we compare book one to book six and seven, my gosh, this feels like light, happy, easy, you know, sunshines, daisies, butter mellow compared to what we're going to experience. So I think in some ways the incantation of magic that we're hearing here compared to the incantations of magic that we will hear later on, um, there's an innocence to it. How about you? What I love about this is that it's – I think it shows the love of the Weasleys. This is a prank that one of the kids pulled on Ron. And yet it's all of these lovely things and there's no risk of Ron actually getting hurt by this prank. So um, I hate pranks because I think that they're taking advantage of people's trust, right? It's like, oh, that person is so gullible. I'm like, okay, the synonym for gullible is trusting and you just abuse their trust and that's not nice. But you see like the kindness and to some extent the harmlessness in their humor and I think that that speaks to the love of the Weasleys. So yeah, that's what it brought up for me. So let's think about the third layer, which is to think about how this passage speaks to our own experience. What does this remind you of in your own life? I I do think it reminds me of being teased by my brothers. Pranks and jokes aren't always about belittling or hurting the other person. Sometimes it's really just a sign of intimacy. And so, yeah, I'm just reminded of all the private jokes and the, the ways that friends can tease me that in no way feel belittling. And then also, 
how quickly somebody can offend me when they don't have the right to tease me and they tease me too soon. I get really offended. A lot of my friends call me Nessa. And when someone who I don't know calls me Nessa too soon, I'm like, you didn't earn that. That's not allowed. Right. So it speaks to me of a relationship and just built trust. What about you, Casper? I love this image of Ron clearing his throat. You know, he doesn't have a cough. He's clearing his throat because it's this moment of like, now I'm going to do magic. And it reminds me of the moments when I'm like, now I'm going to do adult things like sign for a marriage certificate or hire an accountant or, you know, just these things. I'm like, oh, God, I'm doing that. It's kind of fake it till you make it. There's just this sense of this is something which I'm a little afraid to do. I don't know if it's going to work, but I've got to do it. So here we go. <clears throat> you know. And I love that it implies that he's going to give it his all. And he's got to know he's risking looking like an idiot. Like Fred and George have been pranking him his whole life. Which is so cute because he's trusting Harry to give it a go. But also Neville and Hermione are there. And so I just wonder, like Hermione sort of makes him do it. But he feels comfortable enough that Harry will have his back or... Or, I mean, he's just been challenged by a girl. There's something really sweet and innocent and fun and complicated going on there. Step four. Okay, Casper, so step four of Lectio Divina. Do you mind reading the quote one more time for us, please? He cleared his throat. Sunshine daisies, buttermellow. So what does that quote call you to? I think what I'm called to is to really treasure innocence where it can be found. And I think especially of of children, and you and I both share a beautiful little goddaughter, and she's still very, very young. But as she grows up, I hope that we'll be able to not kind of infect with cynicism, but really delight in innocence and and say magic incantations and see little whiskers turning just a little hint of yellow, you know, as the boys do. So I think I want to, for the children where I have a a protective or a guiding role in their lives to to protect the innocence, not in a kind of the world is scary way, but to to delight in the wonder of of the magic of youth. How about you, Vanessa? What does it invite you to do? Um, so I'm about to turn 34, and I am single and dating. And the more that I date the harder it gets to trust people, right? Because the harder it gets to trust that anything is going to work out. And I don't know if I necessarily want kids anymore, but I know that to a certain extent, I love my nuclear family that I grew up with, but I feel like I want and need a nuclear grown-up family for myself. And so that desire to find a person is a real, like, deep existential desire. And it's not out of loneliness. It's not out of sort of these pathetic things that we project onto women of a certain age, single women of a certain age. And so it's hard to stay optimistic in that. And so I'm just inspired by Ron that he has to have been disappointed by situation after situation with Fred and George. And yet he is going to try to do this and he's going to recite these optimistic words and he is going to do it in front of it's a high risk situation. He could tell Hermione, oh, bugger off or whatever British people say. But instead, he's like, nope, I'm going to try. And if I fail, I'll fail. And I just think that that's the only way that things will work out. And as hard as it is to sort of stay hopeful, I think that Ron can inspire me with his sunshine and daisies to stay optimistic in the face of that. 
That's so lovely. I think that's beautiful, Vanessa. So, Casper, now is the time in our podcast where we um, bless a character. And I'm really excited that we're in Hogwarts now. Like Harry, I'm really excited because there are all of these amazing women all of a sudden. So I'm going to offer my blessing this week for Mrs. Weasley. She just escorts Harry into this new world and has this abundance of love and wisdom and her level of detail of like making sure that this kid has this animal and feels rewarded for that and this kid has food and this kid is amazing. But then on top of that, when she hears about Harry, the first thing she says about him is protecting him. You know, Fred and George come out um, that they're really excited that they just met Harry Potter and they're like, Mom, guess who we just met? Isn't that so cool? Do you think he remembers X, Y, and Z? And Mrs. Weasley immediately just nips it in the butt and says, the poor boy isn't something you goggle at in a zoo. You know, she's a poor woman with a million children and she is just still has love to give. So I want to bless all of the women who just are bottomless pits of love. Casper, what about you? Who would you like to bless this week? My blessing is for Hedwig. Uh, Maybe a little unconventional, but Hedwig acts as a sort of signpost in Harry's life. She's there for him to have conversations with. She's there as another living being who, even when Harry's on his own from other humans, is there as a kind of symbol and confirmation of his identity as a wizard. And so I think there's something in that which makes me want to think, well, What's the headwig in my life? What sign is there that, you know, is beyond conversation? I think it's important that she doesn't speak to him in, in human language, but is there as another loving um, affirmation of who he is in his fullest identity? So I, I guess that's an invitation as well as a blessing, but it, it's an opportunity for us to think about, you know, where is headwig showing up in our life as a, a place to affirm who we are and the choices we're making? You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Please remember that we have an open application for a social media volunteer up on the website at harrypottersacredtext.com. Next week, we're going to be reading Chapter 7, The Sorting Hat, through the theme of vulnerability. And we are going to be using an Ignatian spirituality practice rather than Lectio Divina. So we're excited for you to join us. This episode was produced by Ariana Nedelman, myself, Casper Kyle, and Vanessa Zoltan. A big thank you to those who have written in with feedback, Alex Friedman, Sam Matthews, Hannah Thomas, Simon Moss, Nick Moratis, Guy Haywood, Anna Collins, and Maida Basu. I would also like to thank Julia Argy, Bridget Goggins, and Amanda Morahan. Big thanks to our Kickstarter of the week, Judith Geller-Linewall. Our music is done by Ivan Pizzo and Nick Bull. Thanks to Rebecca and Charlie Ledley, Lauren Taylor, and Shane Bannon, and their Svelte Lab Rufus. We'd like to thank the Harvard Communications Office and the Humanist Hub. And our amazing Harry Potter and the Sacred Text Reading Group. Okay, fine. Mariana's face just, like, slammed me down. (laughs) Can we just say to our listeners that our producer, Ariana, has the most expressive and passive-aggressive face? You know when she doesn't like something. It's actually not passive-aggressive. She has a full-on aggressive face. She can edit you with a twinkle. (laughs) (laughs) This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. 
Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.